information about immigration. So stay tuned for that. But before that, I want to say a couple announcements. So after this episode, as I mean, a lot of you may know, a lot of you may not know that I am still in college, which means I have a really packed schedule because I also have um, a job. So after this week, we're going to I'm going to be posting every other week, which means next week there won't be a podcast. But the week after that, we'll have a podcast. So don't worry, I won't start. I won't stop posting. They'll just be like every other week. Like I said, um, other than that, I have a couple other uh, fun ideas for the podcast. So I want um, to do smaller segments of questions that you guys want answered of like, they don't have to make a whole conversation topic, but smaller questions. So go ahead and send me those questions. You can either email me at um, trendingtalkspodcast at gmail.com or you can DM me in any of the social media. That reminds me, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at TrendingTalksTT. And you might already know, but we are in multiple podcast platforms. We're in Spotify, iTunes, Radio Public, Podbean, and Google Podcast. So you can literally find me anywhere. But yeah, just stay tuned for that. A lot of fun things are coming. Also, stay tuned for our social media as well, because I will be attending some political events um and i will be posting about them and we might start migrating and doing some content on youtube as well so stay tuned a lot of new things are coming um and yeah it'll be exciting also one more thing before we start with the podcast i've been seeing a lot of the stats and i i can see where you guys are listening to me from and it's super exciting um and i have people from all over the world listening to me which is on freaking believable but the ones that I find the most interesting are Sweden I have a lot of Swedish people listening to me and I want to know who you guys are so come through um and message me on social media I would love to get to know you um yeah and from other countries as well it's just that's the one that's more surprising to me at the moment um yeah so just let me know who you are peeps interact with me i would love to have conversations with you guys know where you're listening from and what made you listen to the podcast um okay now let's 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 get real let's get started with the podcast All right, so on today's episode, we have Pedro Cardenas. Uh, he is a graduate from the TEC campus in Monterrey. He graduated in 2013 with a degree in international relations. And then he just recently graduated from the Fletcher School at Tufts University with a master's in law and diplomacy. So it's a very smart cookie right here. And you can find him in social media at Pedro underscore CC90, correct? That's correct. Hi, everybody. Uh, very pleased to be here. Thank you so much, Paula. And yeah, I think that's 
you, you pretty much said the, the gist of it. I've worked professionally a bit on international commerce, and uh, after that, I started working on human rights. So I've done both work and uh, volunteering in different organizations uh, in Mexico, in Guatemala, and uh, even in the United States. Nice. Yeah, I saw that you you've been all over the place. You've lived in many places. What what was that? What took you to move around so much? I guess, you know, studying international relations was a big thing for me. Um, I had the privilege to be in a high school that had a strong model United Nations program that kicked me in my interest into diplomacy and international relations. And afterwards, you know, personal situations of uh, the drug war in Mexico led me to start more of a pursuit in uh, working human rights. And that's sort of how I started moving. I moved to Colombia first with uh, the Mexican Mexican government, a program with the Mexican government. And afterwards, I went straight on to Guatemala and returned to Mexico to work in uh, human rights uh, one way or another. And finally, went to uh, the United States. I was in Boston over there at Fletcher. Nice. Nice. Look at you. I aspire to travel that much. Um, I have. I have. I want to work all over the place. I have my own. Like, every time I go back to my professors or advisors and stuff, because I'm studying landscape architect, but I'm super into politics and I'm doing a master, minor in political science, we'll probably do a master's in political science as well. My professors are like, are you sure you want to be a landscape architect? And I'm like, you know, I need a degree. <laughs> okay? And I am too That's invested it. at this point. And I still love it, but I'm like, I just need a part of landscape architecture that lets me do both. That's all I need to find. So, we'll see. Sounds um, perfect. Yeah, that's, in a perfect world, I will find that one job. So, okay, I before I start with all the questions and all this stuff, I just listened, not listened, watched a documentary on the immigration rates. So, as we all know, immigration rates have been a very prominent uh, in the last year in two years because they they started again in 2018 they kind of caught a break with the obama administration and then bush just george w bush had a bunch of raids as well which is where the documentary is based this documentary was made in 2018 um but it focuses on the repercussions of the 2008 raids under the, the george w bush administration so the documentary is called America First, The Legacy of an Immigration Raid. Very interesting. It's not long. It's like 45 minutes long. It's a very easy watch. I know some documentaries get really heavy and you're like, oh my God, this is depressing. I don't want to watch it. This one's very, it took a very light-handed approach. Like it gave you all the information, but it was really nice to watch. And it still will make you cry a little bit if you have some empathy but it, it was very good. It was very well made. You can find it on YouTube. Um, but yeah, it just demonstrates the effect of an immigration raid in America. For example, all this immigration raid, people don't understand that immigrants cannot just come and work whenever, wherever they want. Okay? <laughs> and these immigrants, I always hate, I always hate when people are like, they're stealing our jobs. And I'm like, oh, really? Do you want to work in a packing plant? 
do you wanna clean? Do you wanna kill the beef that your the population is gonna eat? No, no one wants to do those jobs, and these are the jobs that have a high immigrant population. Because those are the only jobs that they can take get. Because the people are willing to give them a job. And the other messed up thing is that when the immigration raids happen, they take all these people away from the plants. They don't have work anymore. They take them to jail. They have to serve jail. And then they get deported. The company that hired them don't face any repercussions whatsoever. It's like the yeah. immigra- the immigrants get penalized like criminals. They don't get immigration lawyers. They get criminal lawyers with know nothing about immigration policies, which means... They have to sign, they made them sign their own deportation paper and then they sentenced them to six months in jail and then deportation. It was awful. It's just awful. So this documentary, which was, it was super weird because it's based on Postville, Iowa. And I'm like here and I'm like, I I don't like this. This is too close. Um... So this town in Postville, it literally cleared out half the population of the town. And it was mostly, because it was mostly a town of, of immigrants. And they interview um, Mexican and Guatemalan immigrants. They interview the Jewish population, which the Jewish, po- Jewish population have, they're like the owners and stuff of the packing plants. Or, you know, they have big businesses. They're Jewish Orthodox. It's very interesting. And then they also have a big Somali population. So it was really crazy to me. The Jewish were really affected by the raids of the Mexican or Guatemalan immigrant population being taken away, um, which kind of it was kind of heartfelt. Like the Jewish Jewish population was kind of stepping up. Um, but then. Somalis came as refugees and it's crazy to me when I like it it's I think about it and it's somehow it's easier for any other country to come in as an immigrant refugee except for Latin American countries like what is that like it's not just a color thing it's like it's just a Hispanic thing they you know like the people from Guatemala that came a couple months ago in the caravan, they were looking for asylum, and it's a big no-no. But other, Absolutely. other, like Somalis, it's just I'm not saying it's easy for them, but it's easier in comparison to the Latin American countries, and it just bothers me that it's not an equal system. Like it's not there's no equity within the system. And that just pisses me off. Plain, like, just, ugh. Um, but one month, they're talking about the raids, and they're interviewing people that were deported. They, were, they went all the way to Guatemala to interview them. And this man said, and it shook me, it said, this, it was a whole military operation. They came in with machine guns, shotguns. Like, they were actual dangerous criminals, and they put them all on the floor, and it was like the guy had a machine gun and it was like whoever moves I'll shoot. Like it's it's terrible and you can see just the sadness in these people's eyes and it's just hor- it's horrible and I feel like civilians don't understand how like 
this affects their lives like permanent like going through an event like this will mark your life forever and some of these families have to leave and even if their kid is born here the kid can stay but the families leave like they have to leave so it was really sad to see a whole family in Guatemala and then this one kid stayed with a neighbor or a family friend so that she can have an education here. That's the only thing they're looking for. A good education for their kids, for them to have a good future. So all her sisters are back in Guatemala with her mom and dad. They don't have an education. They can't study. Like They're working in the market and the volcano with her dad, mom and dad. Whereas they have this one kid that was born in the U.S. studying here. And the mom says that I only hope that the day I'm gone, Haiti, which is the, the girl that they left in the U.S., will be able to take care of his sis, her sisters. And I'm like, this is too much. Like, the life of a whole family shouldn't fall in the hands of a 14-year-old kid. Like, it... No, absolutely, it shouldn't. And and, and I think you've covered, um, you've mentioned several very difficult topics to go into um, that I think are interesting. You know, first of all, when we're talking about uh, migration as a concept, you know, uh, some academics are trying to use people on the move as a way to generalize everybody that has moved from their country of origin to another, to try to differentiate between migration, refugees, uh, people that have been trafficked, uh, asylum seekers. So each of these different concepts has a different legal entryway, has a different uh, process to go to, and has different prerequisites and different benefits, if you will, to uh, the rights of that individual or that group moving. And a lot of times what I've seen in the United States is that, uh, particularly media, everything is covered as migration. The caravan that you mentioned, yes, the migrant caravan, the migrant caravan, the, you know, the, these are, this is, you know, an army of immigrants coming here to take us, to take us all out, you know, mm -hmm. take uh -huh. our jobs, mm -hmm. uh, uh, take everything that we have. And in many ways, uh, there was something that people were asking, well, are those really migrants? Is this migration? Migration most of the times is generalized as economic migration or political migration. You know, I... You know, I'm looking for a better life. I'm looking for a better economic position for me and my family. So I decide to move. Um, however, that is not necessarily what was happening in that caravan. That caravan, you were talking about a lot of families that uh, were actually fleeing uh, actual violence. Mm -hmm. These are people that are most likely looking for an asylum status or a refugee status at a certain point. Yeah. Now, the refugee status is a lot more controlled internationally. It has this particular definition that the United Nations has handled. But the asylum seekers, what's interesting is that asylum seekers, is it's a definition that goes country by country on how to go under the process. And a lot of these people from the caravan and a lot of people coming nowadays from what we call the Northern Triangle in Central America, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras, they are actually coming to look for asylum in the United States and Mexico. Um, and that generates, a lot of, uh, that generates a lot of questions regarding what is really going on and why are we talking about them as migrants, mm -hmm. you know? Another thing that you touched upon is the situation on how we treat those once they arrive 
to, uh, let's call it a host country. So the United States is the biggest example of that. So when people arrive, depends on their status and depends on their country, they are actually treated differently. That is true. You can see that, uh, you know, historically, what some populations are sometimes benefited over others, and that has generated a stigma over certain populations. Latinos are generalized as all Mexicans. You know, there's uh, more than 30 countries in Latin America, but, you know, let's let's go for one, you know, Mexico, and that's it. They're all Mexicans. Yep. Um, whereas, you know, people coming from other regions might be, might have different stigmas to face in the United States and different legal barriers. Some of them might be easier in terms of, you know, easier to climb on a certain legal barrier than another, but some others will be harder as well. Yeah. I, let's talk, let's talk a little bit more on that. Um, you said that they're treated differently once they arrive. Now, I don't know. I'm sure everybody knows about the situation on the border right now. Um, with this fucking stupid wall. I'm sorry. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's <laughs> stupid. It's not going to keep anybody out. It's the stupidest idea I've ever freaking heard. Um, which by the way, side note, I just read an article yesterday about how Trump took $400 million out of aid for Puerto Rico to go towards the wall fund. And I'm like, you, you sir, sir, what are you doing? Don't make me not like you even more. Um, anyway. <laughs> is, is, is there such a possibility, really? Um, uh, yes. I feel like every day, just he puts like a new like kettle corn like just boop just in the jar it just adds a little bit of sharpie to the hatred map i know it's like another dot just every day like i have i follow him on twitter just to know what yeah things he likes to talk about and oh my god he's such a narcissist because every time like he just posted something like the prime minister of the bahamas thanked for the help of the united states and me and i'm like oh my god like it's such a narcissist anyway i can't i'm not gonna <laughs> talk about trump right now he shall not be named but the treatment in the border why why just in general why why what? is it happening like that and why is no one really intervening? Like, no one is doing anything about it. Like, they talk about it in Congress. AOC says that it's concentration camps. Then she gets bashed because of saying that it's concentration camps. And it's all like this verbal debate. There's a huge verbal debate in Congress, but no one is actually doing anything. Like, that's that's my first complaint. Like, you can talk about it all you want. You can debate about it all you want in Congress. The House and the Senate can flip it back and forth. But no one's actually doing anything. Like, why? Yeah, um, <laughs> Just explain, please. All right. So, so an easy question. Um, so, first things first. As much as the Trump administration has been very negative in terms of its speech towards the Latino population and describing the Southern Wall as, you know, the last point of defense for the United States, this is actually not new. This is actually something that can be traced back 
to uh, perhaps the, the Nixon presidency when we're talking about the war on drugs. We're talking about this threat of drugs that are um, coming from the outside. You know, we start linking it to the outside as this threat. Right. Which, which I feel like it's important to mention that the highest um, income of drugs don't come from the border. They come through air. They yes. come through airport. Um, and I am just going to leave it like that. No, absolutely. So you're right on the data, but that hasn't changed what the actual speech of the government has been. So, right, for right, instance, right. let's give examples of different precedents. You know, George W. Bush, um, in 2006, he gave a speech on immigration reform. And he said that, you know, the border, while it should be open for those looking for the American dream, et cetera, et cetera, should be shot for, and I quote, criminals, drug dealers, and terrorists, end quote. So Which, Bush I mean, was, if you yeah. think about it from, like, a civilian perspective, it makes sense. Like, obviously, we don't want criminals, quote-unquote. Like, that's not the point yeah. of immigration. But then, Absolutely. when you think of the logistics of it, who, who says who is a criminal, <laughs> who is a terrorist, who is a drug dealer, you know? Yeah, so for instance, you know, Bush does this, and after saying this pitch, he created a, a plan to increase border security using um, advanced technologies, special, you know, special types of cameras, special type, a little bit of fencing. Uh, fencing has been in the border in different stages, in different process, even since the, since the 90s. The notion of a border is not new on the Trump. Now, Barack yeah. Obama, for instance, explicitly said, you know, terrorists are challenging our borders. He didn't specify the South one, but... You know, there's this notion of Canadian terrorism. I don't think it exists as much in the American psyche. Um, whereas, you know, Obama might not have spoken a lot against migration. He didn't. He was, you know, quite diplomatic in dealing with his challenges. But uh, non-governmental organizations labeled him deporter-in-chief. To this state, he is a president and has deported the most people in the United States. It's more than 2.5 million between 2009 and 2015. Now, we arrived at the Trump presidency, and Trump continues this but expands it. Now, Trump has done his signature move of mediatizing a process. And mm -hmm. we can actually see that whenever there is a political situation that has affected him, Trump has pretty much taken out on another country to try to expand, you know, on the attention of the media somewhere else. You know, an internal situation is not passing, an internal law is not passing, uh, one of his executive directives is not working as he wanted. Okay, let's talk about Mexico again. Let's talk about China. You know, and particularly it, with Latin Americans, you know, he has... He has been famous for characterizing immigrants as rapists, drug traffickers, terrorists. You know, he, there's one tweet was, I, I, um, I don't remember if it was a tweet or a statement. We said, you know, these are like animals. And then when the government tried to react, uh, when the media asked, you know, why are, are you calling people animals? And then the government's response was simply, no, no, he wasn't talking about immigrants in general. He was just talking about MS-13 and this type of gangs. Hmm. And I'm like, the key thing about about human beings is that we're all human beings, regardless of how uh, 
evil we are in our in our own personal right. affairs. There's you know that's a basic thing. Now, in this case, we're talking about a long history of attacks against uh, an immigrant uh, against immigration, and like you said, it can vary from one to another. One reason why we are talking about you know strong uh, mentioning of Latin America and strong mentioning of Mexico. It really is because during the 90s and early 2000s, Latin Americans were the biggest percentage of uh, immigrants in the United States, both uh, authorized and unauthorized. Which um, makes sense geographically. Yes, like it has, absolutely. It has nothing to do with, I don't know, race or anything. It's just... Yeah, you're right. The International Organization for Migrations has stated repeatedly in the last three yearly reports that migration most of the times is regional. So you can see different migration chains. You have the, the America's migration chain, mostly Central America upwards to the United States. Right. You can see the Mediterranean migration chain, so mostly from uh, the north of Africa and the Middle East moving towards Europe, the south of Europe, okay. and then going upwards. And then uh, in South and Southeast Asia, you have a lot of movement towards uh, centers of uh, economic power. So this is normal. People are actually moving regionally. What's interesting about the case with the United States is that um, it is, after all, the country with the biggest uh, uh, percent of migrants worldwide. So we're talking about in 2017, according to uh, the United Nations and the International Organization for Migrations, uh, the United States, I believe, has 18% uh, of immigrants worldwide. So 18% of immigrants worldwide are in the United States, mm -hmm. uh, followed by um, Saudi Arabia, Germany, and the Russian Federation. Those are the top uh, four countries. Interesting. So, which, okay, to me, it's not surprising, but it's also, it's super ironic the way that the United States treats immigrants when at the end of the day, the way United States was founded, it was because of immigrant looking for freedom of religion. Like they were uh, failing persecution from the crown for being like having a different religion or whatever it was, you know, like it's, it's the Absolutely. most ironic. You know, the, the United States has always, uh, talk about this duality, you know, we're a nation of immigrants, we're the boiling pot. Right. We, you know, American culture is a mix of everybody. And and that's why, you know, the, in the United States, you have this sort of celebratory days, St. Patrick's Day, and we have uh, Cinco de Mayo being a big deal, even though Cinco de Mayo is not really a big celebration in Mexico. Um, <laughs> um, and, it's, and a lot of people think it's the independence of Mexico. But it's which, not. Which it isn't. It's actually, and I'm like, uh, this, you know, it's September 15th. So, <laughs> cool. um, now, the thing is that this image of the Latinos has been and has been fueled again also as, you know, what we call securitization processes. So securitization is this process by which the state generates uh, or hyper-security, um, sorry, hyper-focuses on the security aspect of an issue, right? Okay. There's a lot of migrants coming. Okay, sure, what are they doing? Working, okay, that's fine. 
there's a lot of migrants coming. They are, you know, raping women. There were a couple of cases. All migrants are here to rape. They are taking all the jobs because unemployment is is rising in the United States. Clearly, it's migration. There are oh, also we caught a couple of terrorists. Yes, it's definitely the terrorists. You know, so it generates a sense of insecurity in people. And what that does is justify the state, the ability to generate more funding for it, more budget for it. Yeah. You know, if I tell you I need the wall because, you know, 10 Mexicans are coming, you will say, well, no. But if I say I need a wall because, you know, 4,000 Mexicans are coming and some of them are terrorists and some of them are rapists and some of them are evil, you know, more people will be convinced like, oh, well, maybe we do need a wall. Right. And I know it's interesting because you, you immediately said it, you know, it's not going to work. And the reason for this is, you know, to begin with, if you're pla- if what you're planning to stop is, you know, those people, let's say actual terrorists, um, actual, you know, gang members, actual drug dealers, uh, you know, actual narcos, then a wall actually isn't much because most drugs, most movement actually is going through legal ports of entry. Exactly. Um, airports and, you know, the different entry points in the United States and in mm-hmm. the Mexico border. Now, this border is almost, this border is more than uh, 3,000 kilometers long. It's, uh, I believe, almost 2,000 miles long. Um, and we're talking about areas filled with s- sandy desert in some parts rocky desert at other parts, a river in another one. So, you know, it's very different geographies. It's very difficult movement. And in the end, if you are a drug cartel, you have the money to pay for a tunnel, pay for um, somebody to, you know, make a hole in the wall, pay for bribes in entry ports. Yep. Whereas immigrants that actually want to go and work won't be able to do it. So the only thing that you're actually going to limit is the people that actually want to work and have a decent life, which I would imagine is the people you would want in your country. Exactly. More than the other ones. Right, right. And I don't, you know, I'm not Mexican. I've never been to Mexico. I don't know a lot of the things that are currently happening on Mexico, but to my (laughs) understanding, Drug dealers in Mexico or drug cartels have no need or desire to move to the U.S. Correct. Thing is, most I mean, for the have, most they part, don't they don't because... have to because that's they're established in Mexico or in and, wherever it is. Like the... and they're established. They're established everywhere. The thing about drug cartels is. Uh, we constantly want to look them like a political force, you know, ah, this, you know, this evil rebel selling drugs. But the best way to look at drug cartels is actually like a company. Right. They are a transnational company, much like, uh, think of Walmart, you know. They have their bases in the United States, but they have open Walmarts everywhere where they can. Mm-hmm. So the drug cartels have a similar situation. Correct. They have production, let's say production uh of different types of drugs depending on the cartel, et cetera, et cetera. In different countries in Central and South America, transportation mostly through Mexico, 
but the sell point is the United States. So, <laughs> right, the United States actually, is buying somebody it. Somebody actually doesn't need to move to the United States because they already have somebody here in the United States selling the drug for them. Correct. They already have their franchise, if you will. Is somebody already buying it? Right, like, you are 100% right. Like, back home, people, you know, we know the drug industry, industry in Puerto Rico, how it moves, what happens. I know where difference like cartel points are you know not to go there not because they're gonna kill you specifically because they don't at least back home our cartel is our cartel they don't meddle with the normal people like they don't give a crap about you i don't know how it is in mexico or guatemala or nicaragua or whatever but i know back home we know people that are drug dealers and they protect their friends and family they tell them don't get in the business like it's completely separate you that's, know you know that's it it was a similar situation in mexico uh, prior to 2006 before the the official war on drugs started under president calderon and in in when it was that you know it's still this you know cartels sometimes if they take control of a town or or, or a small neighborhood or wherever they live you know they cartels have been known to streets, great hospitals work for things. You right. know, it's it's a very surprising fact, but there has been some sort of uh, symbiosis with the population as well. And, you know, people would normally not do anything and they wouldn't do anything because, you know, they're selling the United States. The problem with the drug war is that it hit the heads of the cartel. So what it did is it had this idea that if you cut the head of the snake, immediately the cartel will wither. But what instead happened was that cartels started fighting each other. Mm. So in 2006, we would have less than 10 drug cartels. Nowadays, we're talking about easily three times the number of cartels because each city is popping up its own cartels, its city is popping up its own until, you know, they reestablish the power that they had before. And that's what spiked the violence in Mexico. When you see the violence in Mexico, it has the homicide rate has spiked from 2006 to what it is now. We're talking about uh, almost... Uh, 18, I, I think it was 18,000 people last year uh, is, was a homicide rate in Mexico and that has nothing to do also with the disappeared, we're talking about almost 40,000 people disappeared in Mexico since 2006, uh, we're talking about huge personal violence however the economic, of situ the economic situation of Mexico has remained stable in, in many ways in the last couple of years and actually, you know, another subject that we have glimpsed about but we haven't talked is that actually Mexican immigrants are not the biggest uh, migrants nowadays. Since right. 2007, actually, the Mexican migration population to the United States has declined. And it's actually right now, it is less than 50 percent. It's around 46, 47 percent, uh, according to the uh, PEW Center uh, research. So we're talking about... Actually, the majority of the population that is moving to the United States now, now um, in, since uh, 2017, let's say 2015 and onwards, the majority of the population that is coming to the United States is actually Asian and Central American. These are the two biggest groups. Mexico is actually going down because the economy in Mexico is actually be being more stable, has remained, and there are a couple of push and pull factors with, which have slowed the movement. Uh, of migration from Mexico, and actually, it's negative. You know, now Mexicans are returning 
to Mexico, saying that the situation is pretty much has achieved similar circumstances, the living standard in, in, in Mexico. Nice. Um, and, that, and that is a positive thing to point out, I believe. Not because, not in like, hooray, they're not coming to the U.S., but because, you know, Mexico's your house, that's your land, you can finally, like, live a similar life or be at peace in your homeland, you know? Like, that's all I aspire to. Be able to go back home and have a decent job. Like, I don't want to pay triple the amount for groceries. That's the only reason why I'm here, you know? So I I am glad that you guys are having the opportunity to go back home. You know, and that's, that's a, a thing as well, you know? We're still talking about why are people coming to the United States now? Uh, remember, we're talking about the caravan. We're talking about actual people looking for... Uh, an asylum-seeking status. Now, right. if you want to, let's talk about Central America. Central America right now has violent spikes that have, you know, increased insanely and has created this uh, very difficult situation. You know, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras all are having precedents that one way or another are forcing the population out, and there's many different reasons. We're talking about not only, you know, uh, huge military operations. Uh, Guatemala la this last week has declared several of its municipalities under a stage of siege. Now, a stage mm. of siege is a legal term where a government ha limits the rights of a population for the purpose of public security. So it is meant to be used only in the most extreme of situations. And a lot of criticism against the Guatemalan president comes like, listen, your justification was that two soldiers were killed in one municipality, but why is, you know, 10% uh, of the country suddenly in a state of siege? There is something more going on, you know? There's talking about, you know, military operations that uh, are actually pushing people away, and there are different reasons for this. First of all, we're talking about um, uh, actual companies. So international companies, uh, we're talking about uh, mining companies, we're talking about uh, uh, palm oil, we're mm -hmm. talking about even, you know, electric plants, even even uh, green, you know, hydroelectric plants are actually pushing populations away from particularly indigenous populations, moving them to another area so that these mega projects, mega development projects can take, hmm. can take place. So people are actually being forced out of their houses, people are being forced out of the places through military operations. So that's one factor for movement. Um, another thing that's going on is that violence has spiked, not only in Mexico, but in Central America. Now, you had an episode previously on uh, the gun control situation in the United yeah. States. And for instance, one interesting fact is that uh, I believe it was more than 6,000 shops of guns are in the U.S. border with Mexico. Hmm. Now, the population in that part of the country is not that big. And they don't need that many guns. No where one needs that guns, many where guns. Where are these guns going? You know, where are these weaponry going? And actually, Mexico has consistently stated to the United States, uh, both publicly and in diplomatic meetings, hey, you need to curb the gun traveling from the United States to Mexico and to Central America because the violence is actually being caused by your sales. Huh. Because you are actually not regulating any sales, 
drug cartels cross the border, buying the six more than six thousand shops and cross it to Mexico. Now there's wow. obviously the governments both in Mexico and the United States are trying to control that. But we're talking about immense amounts. They're, we're talking about truckloads full of weapons. Um, there was, I think, between 60 and 80 percent of all the weaponry that has been caught by Mexican officials in drug cartels actually has a clear U.S. origin. Wow. So the violence is actually being caused by the U.S. policy on guns. It's actually generating violence in, Me in Mexico and Central America, and those people are fleeing that violence. They're going to the United States because that's the closest center of economic power where they can find not only economic stability, but actually a place where they don't get killed. Well, um, hopefully. Uh, yes, hopefully. <laughs> because um, things so are that, not, things are not looking too good for any, any of us at the moment with the whole gun Absolutely. situation. Viol you know, violence is, is spurring in many different right. stages. But my point is people are fleeing from that. Yeah. Now, another factor that we haven't talked about yet is climate change. You know, the current administration does want to ignore climate change, mm -hmm. but the mm -hmm. fact is mm -hmm. that, you know, Central America, for instance, has, uh, there's a particular region which we call um, El Corredor Arido, no, El Corredor Seco, yeah. so the dry corridor, the arid corridor, and we're talking about this huge area that it's a desert that's expanding more and more and more. So farmers are being pushed out of their own lands and farmers are needing to find somewhere else to go. So this just only creates more poverty and creates more needs and climate change is going to be a fact. There's actually a lot of talks in the United Nations about having the concept of climate refugees. Because yeah. that's something that is going to happen if it's not already happening. Some people saying it is already. I, um, I don't know if you watched the Democratic climate debate this past uh, Wednesday, one, but I watched the first ones. So this past, it was, it was, this was only based on climate, which it was not great. Like it was not a debate. It was more like an interview because they were not all together in the stage. But I know someone asked a question. I don't remember to which press, which candidate it was. I want to say that it was to Joe Biden, but I can't. I can't really remember, but it was a question about a climate refugee. Like, what about all these countries that are getting affected by climate change and they get pushed out of their house? They have nowhere else to go. They result to the U.S. to get refuge and they get treated like criminals again. So it is it's interesting that you point it out because I feel like more and more people are starting to understand it and point it out as well. So I, which is like, I didn't know such a thing existed up until last Wednesday where I heard it. So mm. explain, explain what a, in a little more detail, what a climate change refugee would be or like. So there's, there's no official definition yet, but uh, going by the definition of refugee is someone that's fleeing from uh, political violence or any sort of violence in, in their own country. Right. Um, there are a bit of more of a legal, there, there's a bit more of a legal definition according to the United Nations, but mm -hmm. we can more or less go into this. So the idea now, climate refugees are contrary to migration. Migration has both push and pull factors, right? A push factor is something that pushes you out of your country. There's violence, um, you can't find a job, um, you, there's no food. A pull factor is life is good here. 
so I want to move here, you know? Um, right. There is a better economic situation. And a lot of times migrations, my, uh, an immigrant is actually someone that has taken a conscious decision. You know what? The situation for me is not good, and I've heard that the situation is better in X place, so I'm going to move there. Not all the time it's conscious. Not all of the time is this easily rational. But in general, we can say that people move because they are looking for it. Mm-hmm. Now, a refugee is not doing it. You know, Syrian refugees are fleeing because everything is bombed in their particular city. Um, uh, refugees from uh, the Guad- from Guatemala in the 80s to Mexico and the United States were fleeing from. A military dictatorship were fleeing from what has been called the Maya genocide. So we're talking about people fleeing not because they were making you know a more of a rational decision, but they're leaving mm-hmm. and they can't come back. That's a thing. Migration a lot of the times is circular. Um, I when I worked in Guatemala and in the south of Mexico, I got to be uh, got to meet different people. Um, different farmers that, you know, they ask me, like, have you ever been to the States? And I'm like, I've had, you know, due to my privilege, I've had the opportunity to be there legally. Um, But how about you? And they said, yeah, I go there, um, you know, illegally every two years. And I'm like, how does that work? And he was very casual, but like, well, whenever there is uh, uh, farming season, whenever there's harvesting season, you can tell that the security in the south border of the United States just, you know, looks the other way because they do need workers to pay for them a little bit more. So we go in, we work for three months, harvest is over, and casually when harvest is over, migration migration services comes, kicks us out. Um, but by that time, you know, in three months I saved in dollars, something that I now can earn for my family. And so every two years, I just go back, work for the ones, they kick me out again. And it's actually quite common. Huh. And, I was, and I was like, oh, okay. That's, you know, it's so casual and so nonchalant about it. But I was interested in what migration a lot of times is not permanent. Migration, both authorized and unauthorized, uh, has had different cycles. And, you know, you can see the United States, there's authorization programs that are like that. The Braceros program that started... The farmers, there's different, you know, programs for farming industries, for different types of industries that require seasonal support. Wow. So they move in, people, they work for them, and then they kick them out. Now, this also increases dangers of human trafficking, which trafficking is another concept altogether of people that are tricked into slavery uh, or tricked into going or actually just kidnapped and sent. No. Right. But refugees can't return. Refugees from, uh, you know, the you know the Rohingya refugees cannot return to Myanmar. Uh, Syrian refugees cannot return to Syria. Climate refugees might not be able to return because their city is underwater, right. because their forest became a desert, because there is no city anymore. There is no water anymore, and that's why the concept of climate re- climate change refugees is taking hold. Because it is very similar. Migrations migrations come and go, um, but refugees can't. Not because they don't want to, but because probably the place they called home has disappeared. And that might become a huge reality. Island nations are gonna are gonna disappear. Don't tell me Um, that. (laughs) Coastlines, coastlines, 
Um, any city in the coast might disappear. We're talking about huge changes that are coming, and you know, desertification is also a huge process in in some parts of Latin America, in Africa as well. Yep. So, and I feel like it's important to point out, for example, like now with this whole Amazon Amazon fire thing, the U.S. has a big part to play on these acts because. It's all like the trade market. So when the Amazon happened, yes, there's like theories that the government of Brazil lit it on fire because they need to plant to send soybeans because China wants different supplier of soybean. Therefore, they need to plant more so that China buys from Brazil instead of the U.S. So the U.S. has other little... Not that you, it, it might not be direct, but the same thing like you said with the arm with the firearms thing, how the U.S. the uh uh what's that called? Okay, I lost the word. <laughs> oh, so there's some the involvement, yeah, if you will. The violence in Mexico ar arose because of the arm uh, firearm situation in the U.S. and so on. So like really. If the U.S. wants to diminish migration, they need to stop messing up other countries. Like, get on it. Get on it with the climate change. 20%. The U.S. The climate change situation, the U.S. has 20% fault of it, which is a big percentage. The U.S. is the highest contributor to the climate change issue. So it's like, man, this would be very easy if you would just pay attention to what's really happening um, and I just think it's important to point that out absolutely so we're basically in a vicious cycle where you know developed or you know developed nations uh, talking about the United States talking about several European countries intervened in developing countries in different ways not only colonialism not only um, through their companies nowadays which some people call neocolonialism um, we are talking about direct political interventions. The United States is the biggest example. In Latin America, there's so many people that uh, were basically, um, uh, you know, killed, disappeared, kicked out of office because the United States interventionism is all open and public. It's not, it's not a secret to anybody. And also, you know, we're talking about policies, the war on drug policies, for instance, pressured by the United States to Colombia, Hold on a pressured by the United States to Mexico, and climate change from developed countries is also generating this people that are fleeing to well what the situation the country that they find has a better situation or they think has a better situation right and so it's a vicious cycle because now they are attacked so they keep sending more people and it generates the same uh, cycle of violence movement and destruction of the habitat even if you want to if you want to give an example maybe a more historical one let's let's talk about, you know, Guatemala in, in, in the 50s, you know, we're talking about this country that uh, had, you know, an election, voted for a leftist president, to be fair, but a president that one of its first mandates was actually to uh, generate uh, what we call nowadays uh, the, the equivalent of, uh, oh, I forgot the name, so, so sorry, so sorry, um, Ah, oh, this is bad. Uh, I know, it just happened you know, to Labor me. unions, labor okay. unions. 
So this president, um, in the 50s, we have the election of this this president that votes to that tries to make you know uh, labor unions in the in in Guatemala. And what happens is that there's one particular company called the United Fruit Company from the United States, which held huge amounts of land in Guatemala, goes crazy terrified and says, no, 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 we have a communist in our midst. We cannot allow this to happen. You know, this election, this president, uh, Arbenz, you know, cannot stay here. And uh, this is, you know, this is terrifying. So this American company actually talks to the CIA and says, you know what, there's a communist here in our midst, we don't need, to, we don't want that. And so the United States, through the CIA, with this company, orchestrated a coup that kicked out, uh, that kicked out this leftist president and um, generated what was the start of the Guatemalan dictatorship. The 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, it was all some... It was all a huge process of dictators, military juntas, ruling over, all under, you know, the great uh, United States protecting them, saying, yes, you know, these people are on the right track, they're capitalists, this is how it should be. But this generated a huge outflux of people, because obviously a military dictatorship is not a nice place to live. Nope. Indigenous communities fled. Uh, we're talking about the what we call the Mayan genocide. We're talking about 30% of the Mayan population uh, was uh, allegedly killed. So we're talking about people refugee camps that were set up in Mexico, uh, refugees running all the way to the United States. And it just generated this huge influx of people from Guatemala to the United States. To this day, the Guatemalan military is a strong actor in Guatemalan politics. And many fear that, you know, if the Guatemalan military is not happy with a politician, the Guatemalan army might step in. Mm -hmm. And that's something, that's a fear that has still generated all the way from U.S. interventionism, and it's still generating impacts nowadays. It's still generating migrants nowadays. And we're talking about this idea that the United States is not going to be the only responsible for migration. That's, of course, not true. But migration cannot be seen only as, oh, you know, this random people just woke up one day and said, you know what, I want to live in America. Right. It's, it's not how I, it works. That's what you I know, always people? try to say to people. They're like, you don't just leave your country where, you know, you know everything about it. You speak the language for fun. Like, you don't just move yeah. to a place you don't know anybody, you don't know the language for the fun of it. Like, you're, so, it, it's obvious that they're fleeing something. They're looking for a better world well-being. It's obvious that they're not... They don't have a good quality of life where they're at right now. One good way that I've, I've always dealt with with people that don't understand the situation is actually ask them questions like, okay, are you happy now? Yes, good, that's fantastic. So tell me, how happy would you be if suddenly you can't find a job? Mm, okay, not so much. Would you move? No, not yet. Okay. Um, what if you can't find a job, but then, you know, there's a lot of violence in your, in your neighborhood? Maybe I wouldn't move yet. Okay, but what if there's a lot of violence in your neighborhood? They are, you know, disappearing. Uh, your they disappeared your wife. Uh, you have to take care of the children. There's violence in the streets, and also there uh, the food prices are each time more and more expensive. I won't. Uh, well, maybe, and they start doubting. 
right. because you would move and it makes sense you know there is there is an instinct of i need to move one place or another and the situation is such that in some countries in some cities and in some regions that is actually what is happening so i want to ask i want to focus a little bit more now now we, we're coming towards the end of the episode because i could talk about this for hours on it. <laughs> same but i feel like nobody wants to listen to it for hours on end um i want as an expert to ask you do you think that there is any presidential candidate right now that would attack this issues head on they would make for a more moral and humane and equitarian whatever that word is way to attack immigration or to deal with immigration and with all these issues do you do you see one because we're approaching we're approaching primary season folks and i don't give a crap who you vote for just vote for someone except for trump um hopefully But do you think there's one that can actually do something about it? Being completely honest, I, I'm not quite sure. Both Democrats and Republicans have had a history of treating migration negatively. Um, you know, in the primary, some candidates have spoken about um, comprehensive migration reform. Some candidates are, are speaking a bit more about, you know, ensuring, you know, protection for asylum seekers, ending family separation um, in the border, ending this, you know, horrible policies that are, have been, that are being implemented nowadays. But I'm not quite convinced yet. Um, to be fair, I'm, I'm also, you know, I'm not an American, so it's, it's not part of, I, I haven't followed them to that detail. No, that's since, understandable. And it's hard to follow. They're, they're, There, there are so many of them and they're all going so fast. Yes, like things are happening absolutely. so fast that not even I myself, I'm like 100% caught up with anything. So I don't blame you for that. I, mean, I, I think it's true that, you know, Donald Trump will definitely not be doing anything. If anything, things will only get worse. Mm -hmm. We're not only talking about, you know, uh, unauthorized migration as the big thing that he's tackling, but also authorized migration as well. Um, student you know student visas nowadays are taking a lot more time to be processed um work permits are taking a lot more time to be processed this you know personal experience um there is you know for instance even you know programs that were implemented under the obama administration for uh refugees and asylum seekers from central america are being eliminated and these are people that are authorized to be in the united states And now suddenly they're not. So we're also reversing authorized migration, not only unauthorized migration. So in the end, you and know, it's we're only, not... It, you only see it to a targeted demographic, which is kind of the weirdest thing. Like everything you see in the media, it's affecting a lot more the Hispanic communities than any other communities. I mean, it, For the it definitely makes sense because it's the percentage-wise, but also we're talking about, you know, think about the what was called the Muslim ban, you know? Right. It's, it's, it, it, there are certain attacks against different types of populations. I, I don't think we can only say that the, the, the Latino and Hispanic populations are being affected the most. Technically, they are because they are the biggest percentages of uh, unauthorized right, right, right. But you don't migrants see it, in the United States. You don't see it in the media. It's what I say. Like, 
That's true. No, That's it, true. it doesn't get showcased as much. Everybody, like, you're, they're always focused on Hispanic. And, absolutely. And, you which know, which the is media a big part of a it. Lot, the media but. and the government focuses a lot on the image of this Latino male migrant. You know, it's a man. It's, this is a dangerous army of Latino men coming to take over for you. When statistically, worldwide, uh, migration is 49% women. Huh. Um, statistically, you know, it's almost half and half worldwide. And actually, youth is becoming more and more. You know, one of the countries which has the biggest number of youth migration, that is people under 18, uh, as immigrant status in the world, is Mexico. Because a lot of youth from different parts of the world are converging in Mexico, trying to cross to the United States. But because a lot of it is now being stepped over, uh, the United States is pretty much pressuring the Mexican government to be the wall. Mexico is the wall in many ways. Ever since you stepped forward in Mexico from the southern Mexican border all the way up, the Mexican immigration system tackles you, mistreats you, is, discri is discriminatory as well. The Mexican system uh, has been known to, uh, to eject people that actually had a legal uh, authorization to stay in Mexico. And now the Trump government is trying to get Mexico to be what we call a third safe country. Now, this means that asylum seekers now legally need to cross the United States and say, I'm looking for asylum. That's how it works legally. If this passes, then they would be stuck in Mexico as well. Hmm. So we're talking about families. We're talking about children. We're talking about um, populations in need. We're not talking necessarily about this evil Latino man, which is an image that the media repeats that, you know, Netflix repeats, you know, how many series from Latin America do you get that are not Narcos influenced? I hate Narcos. Um, I don't even watch it. I like, I don't. I, I haven't watched it yet, but I, I don't need to. I'm I sorry. I really can't. It's, it's emotionally jarring for me. I don't want to know. Like, I don't. I'm sure it's I a great series. I'm not saying anything about it. Right. But, but hmm. I don't want to, I don't support that portrayal of the Hispanic community. Like, I don't. Because that's. You know, that's, like there's that's so many there's so many other series that I tell people to watch, like the series the the bio series on Celia Celia Cruz. That's a fantastic series that shows you a completely different way of Hispanic life. Why do you have to watch Narcos? <laughs> Celia the Colombian telenovela. No, well, it's, yeah, the original is Colombian one, right? It's a Colombian production. That's yes, a it's a Colombian production, but it's Cuban. <laughs> it's based in Cuba. Yeah, I know, I know. And but, it was recorded, um, it was recorded, it was actually not recorded in Cuba, it was recorded in Colombia. I, I know, actually, yeah, I am in, in one Puerto episode. Rico. You won't in... believe this, but I am in one episode. <gasps> what? <laughs> what? It, it was an accident of destiny, but I, I speak to Sally in one episode. <laughs> <gasps> I need to watch it again and I need to find you. Oh my I'll, God. I'll, I'll share it with you. Oh my God, this is fantastic. That's one of my favorite series of all times. It's so good because it's, it's, it's a Latino representation that you don't see anywhere. Like it, it literally shows you the life of a Hispanic person. Absolutely. Really beautifully. Uh, one Netflix series that I really love, uh, One Day at a Time. It's a remake. <gasps> yes. I, it's, it's such a beautiful series that I would I recommend know. anybody that wants to know, understand a bit of what the Latino population goes through. In, in in the United States, you know, as a normal Latino family living, 
It's really well done. It's really um, good. It's really good. And they Netflix wanted to take it out, but then Lin Manuel Miranda and Rita Moreno, which by the way, three actors of that one day at a time. They're Puerto Rican. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, but they fought Lynn, Lynn and Rita Moreno, which is the first Hispanic woman to have an Emmy, a Golden Globe, an Oscar, and a Tony. Uh, yeah, they fought Netflix to leave it on and renew for a new season. And I was like, yes, I love that show so much. So yeah, you don't, you don't have to watch Narcos to know the life of a Latin, Latin person. You, you can just watch nice series like Celia and One Day at a Time. Cause Absolutely. they're great. They're great. Um, yes. Oh, we, we derailed, but that was so good. I love talking <laughs> about series. Y'all should watch it. It's really nice. Um, did we miss anything? Did we not talk about anything about something in specific? I'm trying to remember. See if we can recap. I mean, I guess, you know, it's important to talk about, you know, the, we've seen a little bit of the difficulties of why people migrate to the United States, why people flee to the United States. There's different legal status. Every legal status has a different position. Once you're in the United States, there are several issues to deal with. And I guess for me, one important aspect is that, you know, the idea that people are coming here to take what is absolutely yours is very problematic in many ways because migrants first of all have been shown that they in the long term they create economic benefits for wherever they yes. uh, for wherever they stay mm -hmm. um, it is true that in short term you know always the city needs to give a little bit of its budget to help these people that are coming in but in the long term it has been economically proven that they generate more benefits and gains to any community not only culturally, not only, you know, richness of, you know, the life livelihoods, but also in actual economic terms, they generate employments, they generate jobs. How right. many people in the United States come from an immigrant family that are not nowadays uh, owners of big companies, you know, creators of new jobs for American people and for people worldwide? And I think it's important to think about this. And lastly, one of the things that we discussed that I think it's important to remember is that the image of immigration that you're receiving in the United States, both through official speeches of the United States government before Trump and during Trump um, and through the media, is that, you know, migration is not easy, is not people that are coming here to steal away from you, is not a, an army. It's actually families. It's actually children. Mm -hmm. It's actually members of the LGBTQ community that are fleeing away from countries that are uh, killing them. It's actually human rights activists that are looking for a refugee status or an asylum status. It's actually people fleeing from war. And that is what's happening. You know, migration is something that is continuous, it is perpetual, but asylum seeking refugee status will keep growing as climate change and other uh, and conflicts continue to expand in the world. And that is something that we need to deal with from a much more multilateral perspective, not only just, you know, the United States is here to save the world because it isn't, but rather migration is something that's going to keep happening. It has always happened and it will keep happening 
what we need to do is how to make sure it is safe for everybody, mm -hmm. how to make sure that people don't need to flee their homes to begin with, um, so that if they make a decision to move, it is for positive decisions only. And once somebody arrives, how to make sure that person has its fundamental rights protected. Right. Right. Um, this has all been super informative and super great. And I just want to say to anybody that's listening, if you know someone that's an immigrant being legally or illegally, just show them your support. You know, they they need a lot of emotional support, especially in days like now. Like, if I, that I am not here illegally because I am technically an American, feel the repercussions of what the government is doing right now emotionally like i get on a bus and i get paranoid like i'm paranoid 24 7. it's horrible i cannot imagine how someone that is here illegally looking for refuge and for like fleeing persecution might feel like i, I just i can't it's something that i can't picture it you know so if you know just don't Let's all be nice to each other. That's I, I that's all I want to say. Also, um, orient yourself in what to do in a situation where the government comes to look for you. You don't have to open the door if you're an immigrant looking for this. No one can enter your apartment or your house or whatever if they don't have a warrant. Also, don't speak and find a lawyer. I feel like every time I see posts like this on Facebook, I retweet it. And I, re and I share it because people need to know no one can enter or take you into custody or anything without a warrant you have the right to remain silent don't say anything because they will use it against you it's not like it can be used against you they will and find a lawyer anybody I feel like anybody should have like a lawyer on call anyway just in case um, I am also terrified about what's going to happen in the next election. So let's just all sit tight together and see what happens. And let's just be nicer to each other. And thank you, Pedro, so much for being oh, in this episode. You. I was very excited to have you, especially since you were willing to talk about immigration because I've been wanting <laughs> to do this episode for so, 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 so long. But I don't like to just have anybody to talk about whatever I want on the podcast you know i like to have people that actually know what they're talking about so i appreciate you so much um remember thank you so much no, thanks no. for the invitation it's you know, and, nothing uh, i'm honored i'm considering it at such a high level <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean no i it's nothing i heard a lot of great things about you and i knew that i had to have you i need smart people in this podcast to teach other people um thank you If you want to follow him, I will make him be more active on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I will, follow I him at Pedro underscore CC ninety nine Uh Yeah. And you can follow Trending Talks on both Instagram and Twitter at Trending Talks TT. And then you can email me at Trending Talks Podcast at gmail.com also please remember to go into itunes and leave a review or whatever you listen to the podcast just leave a review a couple stars here and there that would really help a lot and will that will tell itunes that you like my podcast and that they can recommend it to other people that have your similar interests other than that thank you for listening and i will see you next time bye say bye pedro Bye. <laughs>